invite you to open your Bibles to 2 Corinthians. Again, I want to thank Jeff for coming. I know Jeff has some CDs on the table out in the lobby, and uh, he said he has no vinyl. So uh, if you've still got one of those record players, he doesn't have any of those. And I don't know how well CDs work on those things. Not too well. Okay. Can you download on iTunes and that kind of thing? So, Jeff, thank you for your ministry. Thank you for being here today. If you've got something really valuable, where do you put it? A lot of people take stuff to the bank and put it in safety deposit boxes. Maybe you've got a safe at the house. Maybe you've got a fireproof box. Sometimes we put valuables behind bulletproof glass. Sometimes I'm pretty sure the container is more valuable than what we put in it at times. Has anybody ever spent $50 a month storing something in a storage building? At the end of the year, you realize you spent 600 bucks storing about $100 worth of stuff you're going to take to Goodwill. I've, I've done that before. You know, you start doing the math, you're thinking, you know, the stuff we're saving isn't what we're paying for every month. Anybody ever carried rent? Don't raise your hand, ladies. But I've seen ladies that have like $200 pocketbooks carrying around like $12 worth of makeup. Today we're going to talk about God's treasure chest, where God has stored really the most valuable message, and that is the message of the gospel. And he stored it in you. The letter to the Corinthians that we find in 2 Corinthians is written to some degree to refute some of the accusations that were hurled at Paul from these false teachers. And the false teachers, it was all about them. They wanted to make Paul look small so that it would make them look bigger by comparison. So let's look at this passage of Scripture. Just reading the first few verses, starting in verse 7. We left off last week in verse 6. So chapter 4 of 2 Corinthians, verse 7. Here's Paul. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels so that the surpassing greatness of the power will be of God and not from ourselves. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not despairing, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying about in the body the dying of Jesus so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our body. For we who live are constantly being delivered over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death works in us, but life in you. Sorry, is that breakfast burrito? I don't know what that was. If you're going to Taco Bell for breakfast, I suggest you go somewhere else. Chapter 4, beginning in verse 7, here's Paul. Paul saying, you know what, you're accusing, they were accusing Paul of being a cracked pot, of being an impure vessel, of being a valueless vessel. In fact, they were looking at Paul's life and saying, you know, Paul, the reason you're having all the difficulties you're having is because God's punishing you. And that wasn't the truth at all. In fact, God was honoring Paul. Paul was a faithful servant of God. 
And so Paul says, you know what, you're right in the sense that I'm a cracked pot. I'm an imperfect vessel. But look at what God does. Look at the economy of God. He says, we have this treasure in earthen vessels. Well, what's the treasure he's talking about? Well, if you look back at chapter 4, verse 1, just a few verses up, he says, we have this ministry. As we've received mercy, we don't lose heart. So he's talking about the ministry. And to find out what the ministry is, you look a verse before that, and it's talking about the glory of God. So men and women, I want you to get this this morning that we have a ministry, and this is not just for full-time vocational preachers. This is for anybody that claims the name of Christ. You have been given a ministry. You're bearing the glory of God to other people. So people who don't know God would see the glory of God shining through you, and you have an opportunity to tell them the truth of the gospel. More on that later. But Paul says, we have this ministry in earthen vessels. What's he talking about? He's saying, we have this ministry in clay pots. You and I don't use clay pots as much as, obviously, they did in the first century. They carried things in clay pots. Typically, it it may not be valuable things, but sometimes it was very valuable things. In fact, we found the Dead Sea Scrolls. I say we found. I wasn't there. But back in the 60s, a young boy was throwing a rock or shooting a slingshot, heard something break, went into a cave, and we discovered the Dead Sea Scrolls. They were stored in clay pots. Sometimes it may be water. Sometimes it may be oil. Sometimes it was very valuable things. But Paul says, we have this treasure, the very treasure of God, and it's being stored in clay vessels. He's talking about us. That's what we're made out of. Dirt. (laughs) We're clay pots. In the world's economy, we're easily replaceable. We don't have a lot of intrinsic value in a sense. And yet in God's economy, we're very valuable. We were valuable enough for Him to die for. And so He stored this treasure in earthly vessels so that. That word occurs, that phrase occurs several times in Scripture, and it's a time to stop a minute and say, okay, He said this. Why is He saying that? It's so that the glory of God would be demonstrated. God has chosen to use the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. And so God has chosen to use us. And it will become very obvious that this surpassing greatness is from God and not from us. Why? Because I'm just a clay pot. But the message of the gospel is all important. It's way bigger than me. I'm just a clay pot. In fact, it's interesting the people God did use. Just sticking to the New Testament. God used people like fishermen. When these fishermen from Galilee showed up in Jerusalem, they were looked down on. And yet that's the very people God used. In fact, in all likelihood, He used teenage fishermen who didn't have a lot of social standing in society. And if that wasn't bad enough, He also used traitors to the Jewish people. People like Matthew who wrote the book of Matthew. He was a tax collector, so why do I call him a traitor? He, he went to work for the opposition forces. Before he came to Christ, he was a tax gatherer going to his own people and extorting from them taxes. Tax collectors in that day were very corrupt. And yet, that's who some of the people are that Jesus used. He also used a lot of obscure people that nobody had ever heard of before. Well, I don't know about you, that gives me hope that God uses people that the world would have probably discarded. 
They weren't always the best looking. They weren't always the most popular. And they certainly weren't always the most successful. He used cracked pots. He used the Apostle Paul, for instance. One who had persecuted Christians. Yeah, that's the very person that God displays His glory through throughout the letters to the Corinthians and these 13 letters he writes in the New Testament. It ought to give us hope. Because here's the good news. If God could not use imperfect people, then there would be nobody in the ministry. You get that? God uses broken things. He uses imperfect people like me and like you. That's good news. And then Paul says, just to give you an illustration of how cracked my pot is, let me just tell you about my life. And folks, I think you're going to identify with some of these. Paul says, I am afflicted in every way, but not crushed. The word afflicted literally means to be hemmed in, to be pressed from all sides, and yet I'm not crushed. It's kind of like the image of a boxer having somebody own the ropes, but never able to corner him. I don't know about your life this week, or maybe the last few weeks, but there may be times in the Christian walk you feel like there's pressure from every side. Here's the good news. Paul said, I've experienced that, but I'm not crushed. I'm not utterly defeated. Paul says, I'm perplexed. Some of you do perplexed real well. (laughs) You ever just, at the end of the day, say, what was that all about? Here's what the word perplexed means. It literally means you can see no way out. Do you ever get in life where circumstances hem in on you and you're just saying, I don't see any way out? Paul says we're like that, but we're not despairing. Why? Because we know God. We know that God is able to do exceedingly abundantly beyond anything we could ask or think. So, folks, yeah, there will be times in the Christian life and there will be times in ministry to other people that you just don't even see a way out. You don't see how this is going to work. And yet God's able to bless it as we turn it over to Him. Because, again, it's not about us. It's not about our resources, our power, our ability. It's about God. We're persecuted. Well, Paul had firsthand knowledge of that because he used to do that. In fact, the word literally means to pursue after. It means to be in hot pursuit, to put in rapid motion. It meant to cause to flee. Paul says there's times in our life and ministry we just feel like the enemies are right on our heels. That's how persecuted we are. And yet we're not forsaken, literally not deserted. But there's times in Paul's life he felt like the enemy forces were... biting at his heels. But he never experienced a time where he felt like God has forsaken me. God's left me. He's abandoned me. He's deserted me to my own devices. He said we're struck down, but not destroyed. There's time Paul just felt like somebody hit him with a weapon or just in a wrestling move move had thrown him to the mat. And yet he was never destroyed fully. In fact, the word used there is the word perish. We're struck down, but we're not perishing. Why aren't we perishing? Same words used in John 3.16. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him would not perish, would not be utterly fully destroyed. But what? Have everlasting life. That's the good news of the Gospel. He goes further. He says, We're always carrying out in our body the dying of Jesus. Suffering was a way of life for Paul. Paul's saying there's not a day that goes by that I'm not caring about in my body that process that Jesus went through that caused his death. 
But there's a so that. Why are we going through all this? Paul said, I have a godly perspective. I see from God's eyes. I'm, I'm persecuted. I'm cast down. I am afflicted. I am perplexed. I'm caring about in my body the death of Christ. And there's a reason for it. So that the life of Jesus will be manifested in our body. You know what, folks? When we live our lives, the world watches. The world's looking. How do we respond when these things happen to us? And Paul said, ultimately, I'm constantly delivered over to death so that the life of Jesus will be manifested in my flesh. And ultimately, it was for you. Verse 12, he says, Death works in you, us, but life in you. So that the life of Jesus would shine out. And the word he uses here is the word zoe. And it literally means abundant life. It's the life that Jesus offers. He said, I've come to offer life and life abundantly. It's not the Greek word bios, which is where we get biology from. It's not just that you'd have a life where all the organs work where you were able to breathe and eat. But what Jesus offers is so much more than that, so much richer than that. And Paul's saying, we go through what we go through so that you would know the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's how important it was for Paul that these people in Corinth and really everywhere he went would know the good news of Jesus Christ. Second thing, helpful knowledge. Folks, a lot of what Paul's talking about is occurring right here, the battle of the mind. When bad things happen to good people, you can either despair and throw your hands up and quit, or you can come back to God and say, God, help me put this in biblical perspective. And so there's helpful knowledge. Let me read verses 13 through 15. But having the same spirit of faith, according to what is written, I believed, therefore I spoke. We also believe, therefore we also speak, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us with him, with Jesus, and will present us with you. For all things are for your sake, so that the grace which is spreading is more and more. People may, is spreading to more and more people, may cause the giving of thanks to abound to the glory of God. Paul's, Paul's quoting Psalms 116, and he said, I kind of identify with David. If you go back and read Psalm 116, David is facing tough times. He's facing times where people are trying to kill him. And he finally comes to say, you know what, I believe and therefore I spoke. And so Paul says, I got that same spirit, I got the same faith David did. Faith in a holy God who's in charge. And so because of that, I speak. We also believed. We also spoke. Not all believers are vocational evangelists or ministers, but all believers should be confessors of the name. That means you. If you've come to faith in Jesus Christ, we need to be like Paul, like David, to say, I believe. And, and what did Paul believe in? Paul said, this is a firm knowledge that I have, verse 14. Knowing that, the same God that raised the Lord Jesus Christ will also raise us with him. That's the hope of the gospel. That's the hope of the Easter message that Jesus Christ, who conquered death, conquered it so that we too could experience that kind of life and conquer death. And so Paul's saying, you know what? I don't know if I'm going to be alive tomorrow, but I know this. I'm going to be faithful with the life that God's given me. I'm doing it so that the gospel can spread and this grace message is spreading. I'm doing it so that you can know the Lord Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior. And if they kill me tomorrow, 
all they can do is take away my earthly life. They can't rob my spirit, my soul that will spend eternity with God in heaven. So that's where Paul's confidence was. That's where his knowledge was. That's what he had wrapped his brain around so that all things were for your sake. So that grace that is spreading would abound to the glory of God. Here's the problem. If you don't have that conviction, then there won't be a conviction in your message. If you don't really believe the truth that you're sharing, you're not going to share it with conviction. In fact, when opposition comes, you'll, you'll clam up. And so Paul's saying, listen, the reason I do what I do is I believe what I believe. There's a conviction there. And then lastly, a hopeful perspective. And I want you to get this. You know, there's times we, we look at things going on in the world, and I agree with what Jeff shared earlier. You, you read the headlines of the paper, you watch the news. It's disturbing, it's alarming. I had a conversation with a guy on Friday who just said, I, I doubt I'll see my 50, 59th birthday. Because he just believes the way the world's going, it can't last much longer. Well, if it doesn't, then it's good news to know that Jesus Christ is coming back to claim his bride. And so, hopeful perspective. Here's what Paul said the last three verses. He said, therefore, we do not lose heart, but though our outer man is decaying, yet our inner man is being renewed day by day. For momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory, far beyond all comparison. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Therefore, Paul says, therefore, based on what I've taught you the rest of this chapter, Paul's saying, therefore, we don't lose heart. I don't lose heart in my persecution and affliction because there's a bigger message at stake here. I don't lose heart. Even though my outer body's decaying, and folks, I think when Paul wrote this, it wasn't just his body was decaying because of age. Part of it was lifestyle. Paul was constantly on the run. Paul had been afflicted with everything you can think of, shipwrecked and snakes and everything. Made a good action movie. But Paul says, even though the outer body is decaying, my inner man is being renewed every single day. Now, don't raise your hand. But that ought to be good news to some of us. My outer body is decaying. I asked you this a few weeks ago. There's stuff I can't do anymore. I don't hear as well as I used to. I don't remember stuff. Guys, how many of you ever gotten up and gone to the refrigerator and when you open it, you can't remember what you came for? There have been times I thought, I need to look that up on the Internet. By the time the computer screen comes up, I'm like, what was that I was going to look up? Our outer man is decaying. And folks, as I studied this passage, of course, what's going on in my life right now, I, I buried my mother on Monday. My mom was 96 years old. I left here last Sunday. And for those of you that were here, man, I shot out of here, and I got to the funeral home at exactly 5.30. That's when visitation started. And I sat through a funeral and, and got to sit on the other side of the pulpit, so to speak, and heard a preacher preach. And it wasn't a sad day for a 96-year-old mom who, whose body was failing. She couldn't hear. She couldn't see. She couldn't walk. Her kidneys were shutting down. 
Well, she doesn't have any of that affliction anymore. She's in the presence of God. That gives me hope, and that's what gives Paul hope. The perspective of if all you think about is our earthly existence and you kind of look up and you just see the mountains are getting bigger and it's just pressing in on me and I feel like I'm about to be destroyed, ask God to give you a a glimpse from 10,000 feet. Ask God to give you a glimpse from heaven where you realize, hey, your body may be decaying. Guess what? You're not going to need it for eternity. God's going to give you a new body. Isn't that good? If you're struggling now with memory or you're struggling now with walking or hearing or seeing, you're not going to struggle with that as a child of God in heaven. And then he gives this perspective. Listen, the affliction we're going through now, two words for it. It's momentary and it's light. The word momentary means it's immediate. It's going on right now. We don't discount the fact it's affliction and sometimes it's painful. But it doesn't last forever. We have a hard time getting that perspective because as James puts it, we're just a vapor. Our life is a vapor. You compare our life with eternity and it's just like when you go outside and go, and you see your breath. Chances are you didn't do that this morning. But when it gets cold and you go out, Next time you see your breath, I want you to remember James who said, that's your life. Eternity is not like that. So our affliction is momentary. It's also light, literally easy, not heavy. And it's producing something. It's producing just the opposite, eternal weight of glory. He used the word to describe affliction as momentary. Then he uses it as the word to describe the glory of God, the glory we experience in heaven, it's eternal. How long does eternity last? Well, they're not going to have clocks, calendars, watches in heaven because time doesn't pass. As the song says, when we've been there 10,000 years, we'll have no less days. Nothing is clicked off the clock or the calendar. So the contrast between temporary and eternal, and then the contrast between light and heavy. Our afflictions aren't heavy, they're light. What's heavy? The weight of the glory of God. In fact, Paul says because of that, it is so far beyond all comparison. Literally, it is throwing past anything else. It's so far beyond. I hope that gives you hope as you live the life that we live on planet Earth these days especially if you're experiencing confl- affliction. And Paul says, we've got to stop looking at just the stuff we can see. Because the stuff we can see, we really can't control. And the stuff we see t- sometimes scares us. We don't look at the things that are seen, but the things that are unseen. Why? Because the things that are seen are temporal. They're temporary. Literally, they're here for a limited time only. They're kind of like the McRib sandwich at McDonald's. Y'all ever notice that? If that was so good, they'd keep it on the menu all the time, wouldn't they? Does anybody get excited when they come back? For a limited time, the McRib. I'm a little scared even the way that thing's shaped and wondering, there's no ribs in there, but they make it shaped like it is, and you're supposed to eat that. Sorry if anybody here owns a McDonald's. I still eat at McDonald's. Just don't eat the McRib. There's other delicious products 
My wife's still trying to figure out why Chick-fil-A only has peach milkshakes for a limited time. Just create a buzz so you can get ready for the peppermint milkshakes. Right, Steve? It's temporary. It's here for a limited time. But the things that are unseen are not temporary. They're not here for a limited time. They're eternal. And you and I have a hard time getting our mind wrapped around the difference between the two. Because all we see can be measured in days and hours and minutes. But what God sees, to Him a thousand years is like one day. And it's really even better than that in heaven. We really aren't going to even know the days because there will be no darkness in heaven. The things we can see aren't forever. The things we don't see. The things the Bible teaches us about. The place where we've placed our faith tells us something different. And that is the glory of God is eternal. And as a child of God, I spend eternity with Him there forever. Let's pray together. As you think about that as we close in prayer, if you're a child of God, take comfort in the fact that whatever's going on in your life right now is temporary. It may not seem that way because we don't have the perspective that God does. But it's just temporary. In fact, in comparison, it's light and momentary. If you're here this morning and you've never trusted Christ as your Lord and Savior, today could be the day of your salvation. How's that work? I just want to encourage you to talk to somebody when the service is over. I'll be standing at the back. Our staff will be there. If you're here with a group, if you're here with people that you trust their walk with Christ, talk to them so that you can know beyond any shadow of a doubt that if you something happened to you today or tomorrow, you would spend eternity with God. Father, thank you for the truth, the gospel. It amazes us that you've placed it in earthen vessels, God. You've allowed us to be the ones that are image bearers carrying the truth of your message to the world. God, thank you. Thank you for the privilege of that ministry. We be faithful in it.